chapter 13 today. Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 14. Now, I want to read what, what Nydia read earlier, because that is, that's exactly what we're doing here. We are bringing ourselves under the authority of Christ. Jesus in the Gospels refers to himself as what most often? The Son of Man, Gary, good. The Son of Man. And that should make you think about Daniel chapter 7, because that's what he's talking about, and specifically verses 12 through 14, or 13 through 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Do you want to be part of that kingdom? Do you want to join that kingdom and lock arms with that kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed? This is how we do it today. Today we're talking about how to be an agent of that kingdom. Now we talked about in verses 1 through 7 how to make a good name for Christ. And it's not by being, as we said, a wide-eyed revolutionary who can't live within the basic mechanisms of society, but it's about being exemplary and dignified in every aspect of your life so as to make a good name for Christ so that people might see your good works and then give glory to God. So when people see you, Christian, they should give glory to God and say, Who, what kind of spiritual formation, what kind of transcendent reality is feeding this person's soul that he is like this or she is like this? So now we're talking about leaving that we're talking about the deepest structural principles of the New Covenant. The deepest structural principles of the New Covenant. So read with me verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14 in chapter 13. Paul, after saying, pay what is owed, and verse 8 continues, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling, or the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know that the time, the hour, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality 
not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. I want more. I want more in the Christian life. And Jesus said to Israel, he said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I don't want to constantly bash American churches. I don't want to be that guy, but I don't want I don't want us to fall into r- mere ritualism. I think rituals are good. Wake up in the morning, read your Bible, pray, go up. I think having a structure for your devotional life is good. But I don't want to, I don't want to just be ritualistic. I, I want more and Christ wants more for you. He wants you not to just think things, certain things are true. I really believe this, because even the demons believe certain things are true. He wants you to be consumed, consumed by those truths. I, I read the story of Elijah, and when he arranged the wood, right? when he was on the mountain and there were the prophets of Baal. He arranged wood. He put the stones together. He had water poured on it. But what he was waiting for was for fire to consume the elements. I think A.W. Tozer made the same point in a book. We're waiting for fire to consume us. So we want to be consumed by the things of God. Not just abstractly assent to them. So, you're either consumed by one thing, by God's truth, or you're consumed by the world. That's the option. T.S. Eliot, in a poem called The Little Gidding, stanza four, is almost haunting, and it goes like this. The dove descending breaks the air with flame of incandescent terror of which the tongues declare the one discharge from sin and error. The only hope or else despair lies in the choice of pyre or pyre to be redeemed from fire by fire. Who then devised this torment? Love. Love is the unfamiliar name behind the hands that wove the intolerable shirt of flame, which human power cannot remove. We only live, only suspire, consumed by either fire or fire. That is, that is good. You are consumed by either fire or fire. Will it be the fire of God's love the fire of Christ that compels you, or will be will it be the fire of judgment? That's the choice that God presents before us, consumed by either fire or fire. And which pyre, then, will you jump on? Because you're going to be consumed by a fire. 
which fire will we jump on? Consumed by either redeemed from fire, by fire, he says. That is, that's what we're after. To be redeemed from fire, by fire. Now, Jesus said in Matthew, I believe, he said, I will baptize you, or John says this about Jesus, that I will baptize, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, or he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, which one you would like to be baptized with is one thing, but you're going to be baptized in one or the other. So, consumed by either fire or fire. So what we're talking about today are the animating, controlling principles that we should be consumed by as Christians, that we should seek to be consumed by as Christians. I'm not, I'm not saying you're bad and this is not what you are and therefore you should feel bad about it. I'm inviting you to seek to be consumed by these things. There are three words that characterize it. Number one, love. Number two, light. Number three, Christ. Consumed by those things. Love, light, and Christ. Love, light, and Christ. What, ta- what power then tends to consume communities? Because Paul is talking about communities here. What power, what law, what principle tends to flourish among communities? Paul says, where pride and selfish ambition exist, there will be every kind of disorder. He also said to the Galatians, if you, do, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The fire of human pride, of ambition, of anger, unforgiveness is enough to consume and break apart a community. But there is a fire that's stronger than that that can bind a community. So we're talking about a stronger fire here. In verse 8, now really quick, in verse 8 Paul says, Oh, no one anything. Um, The point here is not that you're sinning by having a mortgage. That's not the point. Paul's not saying, never get a mortgage here. No, he just said in verse 7, pay all to what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Right? An exemplary citizen. So what Paul is saying is, be honorable and trustworthy in your debts and your dealings with people. Be honorable, pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. If you, if you borrow, give back. If, if, you, if you're in your mortgage, pay. And so here's the, I think Nydia, um, Nydia listens to Dave Ramsey, who's, uh, maybe you guys are familiar with him, but he's a financial coach, basically. And um, a lot of people call in to his show asking about student loan forgiveness. And he made the point that you shouldn't want student loan, you shouldn't seek that as a Christian. You shouldn't seek student loan forgiveness. You took the loan out. Pay for it. Right? I think that, uh, me too, because I was under the impression a few years ago, maybe we should, you know, kind of sit on that and wait for forgiveness. But you know what? 
yes, it is a lot of money. Yes, it is way too much. And something is wrong with the university FAFSA thing going on here. But you took it out, pay for it. Pay all to what is owed. Right? You made a deal, pay for it. So you should be honorable in your dealings. Um, so owe no one anything except to love the other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The main point here is that love is the controlling principle of the Christian life. It is the thing that God desires from you. Love is the controlling principle of the law. And it is what you owe. It is what you owe because it's what's been given to you in Christ. He goes on to say, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment is summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And all these four commandments are about relations with other people. And these are all negative commands, which you should not do. You should not covet. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. And all of those negative commandments, what you should not do, are summed up in one positive commandment to love the Lord your God, with, or to love the Lord your God, but to love your neighbor as yourself as well. So we are commanded, Paul is commanding us to love one another as an expression of our fidelity and devotion to God. As part of our devotion and holiness to the Lord, we are to love one another. That fulfills God's will in those commandments. And this is, this is the basic controlling factor of the Christian life. Paul in 1 Timothy tells Timothy, listen, don't get caught up in endless genealogies um, and questions that cannot be answered. He says the aim, what we're aiming at here, the aim of our charge is love, 1 Timothy 1.5, that issues from a pure conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge is love. So think back for a second. Is Paul just being mushy? Where is he getting this from? Where is he getting the idea that the point that God's will is love. Is he just making that up? I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. I am struck more and more as I studied the Bible how Paul and all the apostles are simply teaching what Jesus taught. They're passing down Jesus' commands. One of the books there is what Jesus command, demands from the world. That is a very good one to get. Um, 
Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. I'll start from verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, the Apostle Paul is just handing down to the people of God what the Christ has already demanded. So that's where he's getting it. So the law of Christ, if you've ever heard that term, the law of Christ is love. That is his law. It's not just a nice thing that we should do for one another. It is commanded from you. What you are given is what you are required to give in the Christian life. That's the law of Christ. So you have been loved. You must love. You have been forgiven. You must be. You must be forgiven. Now, um, love, therefore, is the mark of the Christian community. Is it not? It is the mark of a Christian community, Paul is saying. Um, let's turn to another gospel. Let's turn to John 13, 34, 35. Jesus asserts that love will be the mark of a Christian community. 13, 34 through 35. He says, me and Gary were just talking about this, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is very, very strong. The, the way that the world will be able to tell that we are followers of Christ is if in that community there is a unique, non-natural love for one another. That's how you're going to mark out the people of God. According to Jesus, that's how you mark out the people of God. The newness of the commandment is to love as I have loved you. Sorry, as I have loved you. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you to love one another as I have loved you, which means unto death, self-sacrificial, self-giving, wanting the, the good, for your brother or sister at cost to you, yea, even the cost of your life. That, listen, I'm not, I'm not flippantly saying that. That is, that's tough. But it is commanded. It is commanded.
Why now? Why would that be the thing that marks out the Christian community? Because it's the very thing that's not natural to other communities. It's the very thing that cannot that is a natural. It is supernatural. Forgiveness, self-sacrifice, wanting to see the other flourish at your own expense is not something that comes natural to people. This is why we need commands. Because it's not as if these things are just going to flow out of us naturally. Yes, we have a new power in us, but we need to intentionally and deliberately cooperate with that power. So what's the, that's the basis for love. The basis for love is that Jesus said to do it. And if somebody rises from the dead, you should probably listen to him when he tells you to love one another. Because he says he's coming back as well. And he invites you into that transcendent kind of life. So that's the basis. What is love like then? Um, they, gonna, when I was 26 and I heard the sermon I'm preaching now, I would recoil at this. <laughs> because it, it, because I'm 26 and I want to fight, first of all. But second of all, the word love has been so sentimentalized that we, we get a bad picture of what love is in our, in our heads as Americans. So I, I just want to reiter, reiterate a point that I made a few weeks ago when we discussed Romans 12, 9. Love hates what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Love is muscular. Love is strong. It is not flimsy. It is intolerant of anything that raises itself against the knowledge of God. It is intolerant of those things that do eternal harm to humans. Amen? Love hates what is evil, and it holds fast to what is good with strength. So, know that, at least, when it comes to the texture of love. It doesn't mean be flimsy or limp-wristed. So love is not to be equated with sentimentality, is my point. It's not to be defined as just being sentimental. Love is stronger than that. It's richer than that. So what, what, is, what is love? So we're talking about love. What is love? The problem when, when you define love and other theological words is the definition really doesn't give you the full idea. What's an elephant? What's an elephant? John, what's an elephant? An elephant is long-suffering? <laughs> I, I, you know some nice elephants. That's good. <laughs> what's an elephant? <laughs> That's good. Love is long-suffering. Amen. What, what, what's, think about what's an elephant? A mammal? That doesn't tell me anything. That I don't. I don't have a picture. Clara, what was an elephant? An animal. So is it like a bird? No. Mammal. So it's like a like a whale, kind of. So you see the problem when you you have to you have to describe an elephant to actually know. Well, it's it's really big. It's got 
a long nose and, and white tusks that come out like this. And it's, it's grayish, bluish or something. And uh, it's got these big floppy ears that hang down. It's got a little tail that's like, so you have to describe. In order to get a real um, picture of what it is, you need to describe it, right? And so that's why we have in Scripture a description of what love is. So you know exactly where I'm going. So let's just turn there. For those who don't know where I'm going, is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul doesn't simply give a definition of love. He didn't say love is self-sacrificial living. He describes what love is. And he says, he starts off with saying, God, God does not care, God is not impressed with you. He's not impressed with your piety or spirituality. He commands something from you. So the Apostle Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have not love, oh wait, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And even if I'm a good liberal Christian, and I give away all that I have, and I deliver up, and even if I'm a good zealous Christian, and I deliver up my body to be burned for the cause of Christ, and have not love, I gain nothing. Now, no one would ever give up their body for the cause of Christ without love. But Paul is, Paul is making some very strong statements here. So you could do whatever you want, but if it does not come out of a intentionality, to love. It's worthless. Here's something that struck me because I appreciate well thought out arguments and I appreciate those who can give them. I appreciate intellects. I appreciate smart people because they persuade me of things. Um, and there's a, a person I follow on Twitter, Costy Hen, who is Ben Hinn's Benny Hinn's um, nephew. nephew, thank you, nephew. And on his Twitter page, he, he tweeted this. I thought it was so good, I wanted to share it with you. He said, if I speak with the words of Calvin and Luther, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a Master of Divinity degree, a Master of Theology, and a PhD, and can preach with big words, and know all mysteries, and knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. That is, that's good. That's good. What God requires from us are not degrees, not even, in, not intelligence. He requires love from you. And any, everyone 
can grow in that. And everyone can become strong in that. And everyone can become the kind of person who is known in hell for that. That was, that was Leonard Ravenhill's great line. I've told you this before. You know about the sons of Sceva who came in and said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to depart from him. And the demon replied, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? And he left them beaten and naked. I don't know. I, want to, I don't want a demon to be able to say that about me. I want him to know who I am. And I want him to know who you are. But the way you're going to be known in hell by demons is by bringing yourself under the authority of Christ's law. So that's, my, that's the first word, love. Oh, it will text your love in just two seconds. Love is patient. So when you're impatient, that means you're not, you're not bringing yourself to what Christ has commanded you. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love that I love that Paul says love hopes all things and believes all things. I always I used to think, well, what does that mean? That love is a pushover? But now I realize what Paul is saying that love, Christian love, means that anything is possible when Christ is in charge. Anything is possible. A man, a woman, a son, a situation can turn around for God's glory through Christ's power. It can happen. That's loving. Loving is to believe that it can happen. That's trusting in the Lord, and that is love. All right, that's the first word, love. These will go a little bit quicker. The second word is light. So we're, we, we must, I invite you to step in to be consumed by love. Now, be consumed by light as well. The Apostle Paul writes, Besides this, you know that the time, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Light means a new age since the death and the resurrection of Christ. Something new has happened. A new age has been inaugurated through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So the nature of the time is light, not darkness. The nature of the time is light. And all the, remember, I think it was Mary said, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Right? And Jesus said, he will rise again. She said, I know he will rise again 
at the resurrection, what's Jesus's response? I am the resurrection. That event that Jews were waiting for at the end of the age has begun in Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection. It has, it has begun, and you can enter into resurrection life and light right now and into eternity. So, step into, live as a citizen of light, the Apostle Paul is saying. So, he gives some examples of what is not light. Let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, get away. By the way, cast off and put on. That means take off what is natural to you and put on that which is not that which is alien to you. The armor of light, Paul says, put on Christ later. Those things are not natural to you. So this is this, first of all, this is difficult. Second of all, this requires intention and deliberation. You must this is something you must try to do, effort into this. This does not come easy or natural. This comes a natural to you. So what comes natural to me is works of darkness. I need to take that off and put on something that God has given me. Adopt a new way of living. So, not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in those things, in case anyone was wondering. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling or jealousy. Here's the thing. A lot of, a lot of you know, straightforward men and women will say, yeah, obviously not in orgies and drunkenness. Obviously not in sexual immorality and immorality. But then Paul comes, brings it right down. He says, but not in quarreling or jealousy either. That's also living in the darkness. That's also not casting off the works of darkness. So Paul says, not riotous living, no sexual sins, and no social sins. Those all qualify as works of darkness. So the point is, we are to live as upright, godly citizens. I mean, what is it? What is the what kind of things happen at night? Does anything good open? Does any kind of institution or store open at nine o'clock at night? You know, does anything good happen after twelve o'clock at night? Right? Those are those are the kinds of things that Paul says to stay away from. And the problem. Me and John were talking about this. The problem with works of darkness is that they are dark. And it's hard to see in the dark. And you might lose your way. So if I'm in the light and I see a cave of darkness, when Nidia and I were on our honeymoon, we took it, we went to Bermuda and we took a tour of a cave. Way down, we went way down into this cave, and there were corridors and, and tunnels and canals, and and you could get lost in a lot of these caves. And the further down you went, you started to lose the light that came in from the sun. And if you didn't have a light, you could get lost forever 
down there because you lost the light. That's the, that's the tug and pull of sin and unbelief. Sinfulness is like walking down into a corridor of darkness. And you can look back and make sure you can keep, you can look back and the further down you get, the further away you get from life, light. And then you take a right here, a left here, you go straight down that corridor and you've lost your way. And you fall into unbelief. That's the danger of sinfulness. It's not just something bad you do. It's deceptive. All right. The third word, so first word, first thing to be consumed by is love. Second is light. Live in the light. Live in light of the new age of, in Christ. Third is Christ himself. Christ himself. Why did God predestine you? Why? For what purpose did God predestine you? Why, the answer is, in Romans 8, verse 29, when Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined for what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his Son. So would it be a stretch to say that a main motivation for God saving you is your Christ-likeness? I don't think so. I don't think that's a stretch to say. And after all, the Great Commission is go, share the gospel, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's next? Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Discipleship is the great omission in the Christian church. The great omission. Because we omit the, the main purpose of discipleship. Yes, we want to study the Bible, but if you, if you make theology in the Bible discipleship, you're missing the main thing. Those things serve the main thing, which is discipleship to Christ, Christ-likeness. That's the main thing. Now, part of Christ-likeness is having his perspective, thinking what he thinks about reality. That's theology. Doing what he did devotionally. That's spiritual formation. And acting the way he acted. That's discipleship. Um, the problem, as I've said before, quoting Dallas Willard, is vampire Christianity. Vampire Christianity is the kind of Christianity that says, I will take a little bit of Christ's blood, and then I'll go away because I don't need him anymore. As long as I just have a little bit of his blood for forgiveness, then I'm good. That is not the kind of thing that Christ calls us for. And I'm, I'm glad, I know that none of you sitting here today do that. But I just bring it out to be aware of that kind of thing and notice it when you see it. Because Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. So it's 
a joyful discipleship to Christ. Joyful discipleship to Christ. The man who found buried treasure, in his joy, sold all that he had to buy that field. In his joy. So this is, discipleship is a joyful thing. It is a glorious thing. It is a wonderful thing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. All right. Put on. But put on Christ, he says. Put on Christ. That, as I've said before, involves intentionally adopting the perspective of Christ, the pattern of his life, the way he did what he commanded from you. Put that on and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Something I, I was reading yesterday in Psalm 13, or Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And I realized it just struck me differently yesterday because it's not just the words of my mouth that I should try to make acceptable. It is also the meditations of my heart that I should try to make acceptable to Christ, right? That's why Paul says, I think Galatians maybe, bring every thought captive. We bring every thought captive to obedience to Christ. So that puts a different complexion on our thought life. Because as soon as anger, frustration, lust, depression rises up and wells up in us, we would do well to develop the spiritual discipline of bringing thoughts captive to Christ. Captivate those thoughts and then bring them into obedience to Christ. Also, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires means that you are not sitting at the door of temptation in your life. Those who do not wish to sin should not sit at the door of temptation. So be very cautious about the provision you make for your flesh to gratify its desire, because that is one step away from actually doing it. Um, all right. What we've talked about then is love, light, and Christ. Be consumed by these things. Consumed by love. Consumed by living soberly, as in the day, dignified and godly in every way, consumed with Christ-likeness, and you will then begin to become a transcendent life force that we talked about a few weeks ago. That transcendent life force, and it is powerful enough to challenge the structures of secular existence. And when someone sees your life, they will be able to say, they will be able to glorify God. Jesus gave us a great commandment, you shall love, and a great commission, go make disciples. That's what this is about. The great commandment and the great commission. Be consumed by those things. Don't just lay the wood down on the altar. Don't just lay the stones around it. Don't just pour the water over it. Ask for God to call fire down 
on your life. Fire, be consumed by fi- be redeemed from fire by fire. Amen. Let's close out in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God, be glory and majesty and power and dominion before all time and forevermore. Amen and amen. Take a free book. If anyone would like special prayer, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you.